we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. Help us to see what you would have us to see from this and guide us and lead us. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11. We're now going to be talking in, in the chapter of the roll call of faith, the definition of faith, and a bunch of other things. I expect to get one verse done. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. So we're going to look at this for a moment. I was really want to be able to identify what faith is more than anything else because we don't always fully understand. We, you know, when we talk to Christians about what faith is, they'll come to this verse. It's the, you know, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's what I was going to say, something that we don't, faith is something that we don't see. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to break this verse down, we're going to take just a moment on, and then we're going to talk a little bit about this. And then the rest of this chapter is examples of faith from the Bible. So over and over again, he's given us different examples of what faith is through the rest of this chapter. But his first statement is, what is faith? And the first thing that we want to look at is the definition of faith is fairly a simple one as far as it goes. In the Bible, it is complete trust in something. All right? Uh, and it is used 282 times in the scriptures <laughs> that God talks about faith. Well, the, word, the, the Greek and Hebrew words for faith. Many times they're translated as trust or faithfulness or, uh, and oftentimes faith. So but when I try to get these words, I try to go all the different ways that they're translated. I go to the Greek and Hebrew. So 282 times God talks about faith. All right. Um, and that's quite a, quite a large number on it. In the dictionary definition of it it is to be it is simply to oh excuse me the dictionary definition is complete trust in something the biblical definition is the conviction of a thing being true so there's quite a difference in the way that the spiritual dictionaries have used and i actually like the webster's definition of faith a lot better than i like the bible dictionary's definition of faith the Webster's definition is complete trust in something, which is really the conviction of the same thing, but I really like that idea of complete trust. And this is what we must be looking at when we're talking about faith. So, and here it says tr that faith is the substance. Now, this is quite an interesting word because we think of substance but when you, when you look at the Greek word for substance, it is the substructure or the foundation of everything. This is something that's very interesting. For us as Christians, faith is the foundation of everything that we, need to, that we are to believe. And for the spiritual realm, faith has a great reality to it, much greater than even in the physical realm and the world's realm, so that faith is the foundation of things hoped for. 
And we, we've talked about hope many times. Hope is not this, I wish, I think, but hope is a confident expectation of something out there. All right? Right. Or complete trust, which is, I like that better, complete trust in what we have confident expectation for. Right, and that's the, that's the example I use frequently. You know, we sit down in a chair because we know when that takes us to a level of trust, we're actually going to look at the levels of faith as well. You know, because there are five levels of faith that I want to look at tonight. That's why we're only going to get one verse done. <laughs> because when I looked at these five levels of trust, they become very important to us as believers. All right. So, but I do want to break this verse down a little bit before we get into this. So we have, now faith is the foundation or the confident, you know, so the confident expectation is the foundation of what we have confidence of. You know, as we break these words down, because hope is my confident assurance of something, not just I wish, I hope for, I think, which is the way we in English use, you know, so Faith is something that's very valuable to us. All right? And then he says, the evidence. Now, we read this and we think it's kind of interesting, but this word literally means it's the evidence that proves the case. <laughs> it's not just evidence, but it is literal evidence that proves the case that we have on it. So it's the evidence of things not seen. So evidence can mean truth, trust. Um, evidence that you believe, that you're fully believing. It. It's deeper than that. It's, it would be, I'm going to court, and I have the ironclad evidence that you are guilty <laughs> that I present. That's what this word means. That our faith is the evidence for things not seen. It is the ironclad proof of what is not seen. Our faith is the evidence. Proper faith. Proper faith. We want to be careful within this because then we get too far in the other direction that says, well, I have faith that this is going to happen, but is my faith grounded in God? Uh, because I could have, and this take us going back to the chairs. You know, I can have absolute confidence that that chair is going to hold me. And it's an old rickety thing that's been around for, for 120 years and, is, and the termites have gotten into the wood and it looks good until I sit down in it. All right. So I'm going to say the proper faith, you know, and the proper faith in God is, will be our confident assurance. All right. Holy Spirit-led, God-inspired God faith, the, the proper faith that we have. Uh, because many people that are in the faith movements, they try to say, well, this kind of a verse tells me that no matter what I have faith in, God will act on it because I have enough faith to really believe it. 
and somehow they're trying to say, we control God. And that's a scary place to be in. Uh, you know, they won't go quite that far, but basically that's what they say. If I just have enough faith in something, God, because he's promised that it is my confident assurance is that he's going to act. And they will go through the whole thing that Jesus said, if you just claim every, any, you know, whatever you ask in his name, you will receive. And so they will go to the same extreme on that because they'll go to that extreme on faith. Well, if I just ask in Jesus' name, I get whatever I ask for. Well, the key to that verse is, what does it mean to ask for something in his name? The name is everything about his reputation and his, his, his being. So, and I've said this before, if, if we go out and say, well, I expect to have a Lamborghini sitting in my, you know, in my driveway, in Jesus' name, I claim this Lamborghini, God's going to look at it and say, well, how does that reach my reputation and my honor? And he goes, no, that's not what you need because that's not in my name <laughs> and my reputation. And, you know, and I've been around the faith movement. I've seen people go, well, I claim this healing in Jesus' name, and they throw away their medicine. And it's like, okay, explain yourself. How is that <laughs> faith? Now, do I believe that God can heal somebody? Absolutely. I have prayed for many people who have been healed. I have seen God do great things and miraculous things, but it's not just because of their faith or my faith that it's happened. It is because God willed it to happen. And so we want to be very careful about that type of activities. So, but this verse is very interesting. It's very useful and it's very true, but it really does bring out the idea that faith in the spiritual realm is more real than anything else that we're going to deal with. But in the physical realm, we have to make sure that we're looking at it from God's perspective and have true faith in what's going on. And so this is why I'm going to start into the idea of the stages of faith. All right? Um, and this is not mine. This is, I took it from the internet on several places, all quoted the guy, and I don't remember the name of the guy who did the study. Uh, some of them had about seven, you know, the sociologist who did this had like seven or eight of them. I didn't, many of them I didn't like, so I dropped them off of it. But I did look at the ones that are definitely spiritually related that were referred to by other spiritual uh, pages. The first step of faith is the beginning step. It is that I don't understand anything. It is basically just blind faith. <laughs> All right. Many Christians stop at this first step for whatever reason. They just go, I believe it because. And, and for us, when we first get saved, this is pretty much where we all begin. You know, we are now convinced that I am a sinner. I'm convinced that Jesus died for my sins. I am convinced that I need him to be able to go to heaven. But I'm not really sure why. There's no rational thought behind it. There's no understanding behind it is I sat down on that chair just because I saw everybody else sit on the chair and I and I don't really think of anything I'm not thinking about it I just believe it and this is what I will hear from people well I just believe because it's in the Bible or somebody has has told it to me and it is that childlike faith it is really the beginning of our salvation we all start at this location at that place just believe because 
Well, that would be the fir- that would be true because where do we get faith? You know, in uh, Romans 10:17 it says, "For faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God." So, this is going to be very true as we go deeper and deeper into these stages. But yes, the first thing, God gives us that faith. He gives us the understanding. He gives us the blind faith to be able to just step out and do. Because that's what, when we first get saved, that's all it really is. Because there's nothing that is completely 100% convincing about anything about the Bible. Now, I believe because when I study the Bible, there are some things when I read the Bible that I am so absolutely convinced that it's not much of a step of faith anymore after almost 50 years of study. You know, and most of it is like, okay, I'm no longer walking by blind faith. I now know, but when I got saved at 10 years old, everything was blind faith. You know, I'm a sinner, I'm going to hell. I need, I need God. And, you know, the first thing you've got to do is you have to have faith in God. And you'll hear, you'll hear people in the academic circles all the time telling you that you cannot prove God. And I understand what they're saying, but I will also say... And that means you don't have faith. Well, they don't have faith, but I will say that academically I can prove that there must be a supernatural force that started everything by the laws of science. Does that prove my God? No, but it proves that there must be a supernatural that started everything. You know, because we're told that uh, energy is neither created nor destroyed, which means that either there had to be a supernatural creation of matter or it's always existed. The second law of of, uh, thermodynamics says that it tends toward entropy or deadness or inactivity. So if it had always existed, our energy source would be totally depleted because it always goes back. Now I've had intellectuals go, well, we're in the middle of it. I'm going, excuse me, you cannot be in the middle of eternity. If it has always existed all the way back to the beginning of time, which has no beginning, energy should be depleted to to be totally totally in entropy. So you get rid of the idea that it's always existed, which means it had to have a supernatural beginning. Doesn't prove our God, it just proves that something outside of nature started everything. And once you admit that there's something supernatural, now you can go, okay, now we've got a God that's involved in starting everything. But they don't want to go there. All right. Uh, They'll go, that's just blind faith. No, this is an educated decision-making faith. All right. so we go through this one, this blind faith, it is where we start our life. Hopefully we do not stay in stage one. The next step is what they call impressions of truth. This is where I start understanding that when I allow this faith to get into my life, certain things happen. I start sitting down in the chairs and they support me. And I go, okay, this chair looks like the same chair I sat in the day before. It all supported me. And over and over again, I start doing the same thing. This is becoming a little more experiential, uh, not completely. And most of this is I watch others walking in faith at at this step. And going, well, 
I've watched that person do it and something's working. <laughs> All right. I see those, pers- those people sitting down in the chairs that holds them. I see this person in the spiritual world praying and getting answers of, 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 to their prayers and, and God working in their life. And I start beginning to understand that it works for others. This would be the young child growing up in church and you know, just following their parents' way of thinking. All right. When we first get saved, we're just kind of following along with whoever's discipling us. All right. And as we're older, these steps can happen fast. The third step is the, the faith by experience. This is where I personally start experiencing faith. I pray, I see answers. I apply God's word, and this is where God's word becomes very important to us. The more I get to know God's word, the more I get to to walk in the faith that he's giving me. And I'm going, okay, God says this. Am I willing to allow it to be true? Am I going to try out what he says personally? This is the step when things start becoming more personal to you. You're not quite to the place where it's my faith yet, but it's starting to become more personal to you. All right. The the next one, and this is where most people stop, even in the Christian world, it's a cohesive understanding. It's becoming your faith. This is where I am walking in the faith that God gives me. All right. I now have enough experience Experience in faith to start saying it is mine. I understand it. It is something that I am beginning to see is true. Not mom and dad's, not the Bible statements, but I have had enough answered prayers. I've had enough all things work together for good to start saying it is mine. It's not just theoretical. It's the beginning of that experience. Cohesive means it's starting to tie together and be glued together. It becomes yours. It becomes, I now have something more solid. This is where we get into this verse. It is now becoming the evidence of things not seen because now I'm starting to see enough of it. This is where I start looking at it and say, well, that chair looks like every other chair that I've ever sat in and they all work. I'm going to sit down in that chair and expect that it's going to hold you know, hold up and be comfortable or whatever, whatever it is you're looking for it to be. So this is where most people stop seeking to go forward. They now have it as a faith that it says, okay, God, I have given, I have given you my tithes and, and you have blessed. I have given you my time and you have blessed. I have served you and you have returned, returned and I've seen, seen results. This is the the cohesiveness of this. The next one is more interesting because it is the personalized, lucid, simple understanding of faith. Lucid means it's something that I understand in very clearly and it is just, it's personalized. This is that last step where you start living so one with God that you go, God, I just trust you. Very few people ever get to this one, and very few people are ever going to get completely here. All right? This is where you truly understand that it is who you are 
so that, that you truly understand that faith is who you are and it controls your actions. It's the key to that it controls your actions and you fully understand. We'll never fully understand it, but it gets to the place where my actions are driven by my faith. This is where when bad things happen to you and you just go, God, I know you're going to work it out for good, and I don't know how, but I'm just going to have faith that you're going to work it out for good. God, I don't understand this, but I'm going to trust in you because you said so, and I'm going to trust in you. We'll never get to where we have a full personalized truth in all of our life. That would be a wonderful place to be. But we get, when we hit this place, most of our life is driven by this very clear understanding that God said it, it's going to be true. And it becomes who we are. Not just academic, not just I got to go look for this, this verse, but it becomes God, my full trust is in you. And there's going to be certain areas where we cross into level five, and there'll be certain areas where we stay into level four. But once you start playing with level five, it comes to be more and easier and easier for, for you to step into five because you're starting to really understand God is true. And this is where all of our tests will come into being. God's going to say, are you going to believe level five no matter what you think you see? And this is where it really becomes hard. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. We see the victory. We see that God is going to work even when our eyes tell us everything that's different. This is when you start saying, God, I'm going to start giving you a tithe. And the very first thing that happens when you start saying, God, I'm going to give you a tithe is you end up in the hospital and have a great big, great big medical bill to take away the money that you were planning to give the tithe to out of. Or something else happens. Or somebody, you know, all these different things that come up and God says, are you still going to tithe even though it looks like everything's going wrong? This is when, God, I'm going to serve you in this, in this position and all of a sudden everything seems to be going wrong and you're going, God, did I not hear your voice because everything is falling apart and, it, and I thought you wanted me to do this, but I'm not sure anymore. And sometimes that's when faith has to be stepping out and this is where step five is most important. I go, God, I know your voice and I'm going to step out anyway. This is where that whole part of evidence without proof becomes a really big part. Part of this does come in that I have heard so much of the word that it is now becoming who I am. The spirit is dwelling in me. He, I'm putting the word into me and I'm starting to say, God, I trust your word. My faith actually ends up being in the word that he's teaching me. And hopefully then I act upon what I say I have faith on. And this is where God is going to test us when we hear a message or we read, the, read a scripture and, it, and we were talk, taught by the Holy Spirit, this is what we're going to do. God will then say, are you going to trust? <laughs> are you really going to be faithful in what you say you believe? When we face the fact that, God, I'm going to be a witness for you and God... And God says, okay, let's see how well you're going to be a witness to me as he puts the person that scares us to death in front of us. And we're going, 
God, I want to witness to everybody but that person. <laughs> and God says, but this is the one I'm going to put in front of you, in front of you to witness to today. This is when he says, are you going to put your trust? Is there going to be action to your faith? And this is where faith really becomes real. Am I willing to step beyond what my eyes are telling me, what my emotions are telling me, into believing God? And these trust, when God runs these tests to us, it's not because he doesn't know what we're going to do. He already knows what we're going to do. What is the purpose of the test? Is to tell us the truth. Because we all have the ability to lie to ourselves. God, I truly believe your word. I truly believe that I'm going to do whatever it is that you're dealing with. And God says, oh, is that really true? Let's see. And how many times do we lie to ourselves and think, I've got this, I've got this down pat. I can, I can manage to get by because I trust God. And I've I've done it so many times myself, you know, saying, God, I'm going to do something. And then immediately the trials pop up and say, wow, am I going to continue to follow God? It doesn't look like it's going to work. It's going to be difficult to make it work. And, you know, this is really true that it will always be difficult because it is a, if it's of God, it's going to be beyond my capability to make it happen. And I must have trust in God to make it work. Now, when we say this, this means the more that I've learned to trust God, the more faith I have in my life, the more difficult my trials will be. <laughs> because God's saying, oh, you know, you have learned a lot. Let's see if you are now ready for the next step. And the next step. And my example is, you know, when we go to school, if you're in kindergarten, you get a kindergarten test. If you're in sixth grade, you get a sixth grade test. If you're in high school, you get a high school test. If you're in college, you're going to get a college test. You're not going to take the college, the college student and say, okay, here's your math test. One plus one equals two. The college student's going to look at you and go, I thought you were going to give me a test. I've known this stuff for 20 years, and you're trying to say that this is a test. God does the same thing to us. What we know, he doesn't retest us on. He says, oh, you know, your, you know your addition tables? All right, we're going to give you multiplication. Oh, you know your multiplication? Let's give you fractions. <laughs> you know your fractions? Let's give you algebra. Oh, you know your algebra? Let's give you trigonometry. You know trigonometry? Let's give you calculus. This is what it comes down to. God says, I'm going to put my truth into you and then are you going to act upon that truth? And everything about this, you know, when I look at, when we look at Job's life, I can't imagine how fateful Job was to go through what God put him, allowed him to go through. And I'm glad God hasn't asked me to go through everything that Job went through. But a lot of people, there have been people in time that have gone through much of that. Somebody like Corey Tenboom, they lost everything that they owned, including most of her family, through, through this whole trials that they went through. And she stayed faithful. But if you read her book, it was hard for her to stay faithful. And it's sometimes hard for us to stay faithful, and we're going to fail at, at various 
points in our life, and then God will retest us and retest us and retest us until we finally pass, and then he'll take us to the next level of testing. But this is what faith is. It is the substance or the literal foundation of the things that we have confident expectation in God on. And the evidence of the things not seen or the great argument for this. So our goal is to get to this place where faith becomes who we are, at least in most of our areas of life. Very few people reach this in any part of their life, much less the majority of their life. Most people stop at this, well, I'm starting to make it my own faith. <laughs> it's starting to become mine. This ultimate is, God, I just want to walk in faith all the time. And when God says, you go out and say, God, I'm just going to trust you. And I think I'm there in a couple areas of my life, but I'm not there in all the areas of my life. I wish I was, but I'm not. And I don't think that anybody is. Now, we look at somebody like Enoch, who's going to be mentioned in the Hall of Faith. Enoch died at about a third of the age of every, or didn't die, excuse me, was taken by God at about a third of the age of everybody else that lived in his period. Why? Because he walked with God. I think he entered into stage five on almost all of his life, and God said, okay, come on up. All right, same thing with Elijah. He did not die either and was taken up, you know, and I think he got to the same place. He was walking with God so fully that God says, okay, you can come up. I think if we get to stage five in almost all of our life, God's going to say, come on up. You're already here. Come on up. Uh, but most of us will never get there. Uh, we get to get into the word of God. We get to know him. We get to trust him more and more and learn to walk by faith. And faith is not this nebulous, you know, blind trust. That's where we start. But the goal is to say, God, I trust you so much. Why? I've seen him go, you know, and this is where it is so important. The more I see him being faithful, the more I learn to just be trusting on him. And this is kind of almost back to blind faith in one side. The blind faith has no reason I just trust him. It's a child walking out on the diving board and saying, well, my parents are saying, come on into this water. I'll go ahead and jump in. You know, because I trust my parents to keep me <laughs> safe in that water. Not that they have any confidence of it, but they just know, I, I trust mom and dad. That's our blind faith. God, I'm going to put some trust into you, and I'm just going to do crazy things. And you think back when you first got saved, how many crazy things did you do on the idea that I'm just following God and being trusting? Uh, you know, God, I, I think you want me to do this, and we jump off the diving board and hope that he's there in the water to catch us. All right? Um, but we get to the end, and it's almost the same thing, because now I am so confident in God that it's just who I am to walk in this thing and to say, God, you, I think you want me to do this. I'm stepping out because you are there. You have been there. You will be there. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever, and I'm going to finally trust, and I'm just going to trust you because this is something that is in your will. I know your will because I've been in the word of God and I know what your will is and I'm just going to step forth in this, in this trust. And this is why faith comes by hearing. 
the more I hear about God, the more that I learn to trust him, the more that I know that the word of God is true, the stronger my beliefs will become. The more I get to know the scripture and the people that are out there, the more I go, okay, God, you've done it for others. You'll do it for me. This is why I recommend that we read biographies of Christian leaders too because, you know, I love it that God did things in the, in the Bible and I fully believe that they're true. But you know, when I get people who are a little closer to our lifetime, it makes it become even more real. But you know what really makes it become real? Is when I experience it or I know personally people that have given their testimonies of God's real actions in this. This is why I like testimonies in church. We get more and more people that are willing to share their testimony. I'd love it. I'd love to know this is what God's doing for me. This is what God has done. This is how he's moved. Because those influence people. And again, I'm not trying to belittle the Bible, but you know, the Bible was written 2,000 years ago, two to 4,000 years ago, and a lot of people look at it that way. Oh, well, God did that for David. He did that for, you know, for Moses. He did that for Joshua. And I don't want to belittle that because it is great. But when you hear what he's doing today for people, it really it makes me excited. God, it just proves that God is the same yesterday, today, and, for, you know, and, and forever. Because now I look at it and say, oh, you're still doing these things. And when we get to that, then we go back to the Old Testament and the characters in the Bible and going, oh, okay, yes, these are very real. And it's part of our stages on this. You know, before I, I want to make this personal, I want to make it part of who I am, but now I get to know people who are walking in faith and what they are doing, and that makes it more real to me, and then I can believe God's word a lot better because now I've got something that is a testimony of it. Then I add my own testimony on top of that on how God has been blessing me, and now I go back to the Bible and go, on, <clears throat> all right, God, I've seen how you've worked in others' lives. I've seen how you've worked in my life. I now remember, I see what you've done in their lives, and everything has this full circle of saying, I now have greater evidence, even though it may not have practical, everyday experience, I have watched you work in my life, others' lives, and now I'm reading about what you've done in their life even more. And that gets me into this whole deep belief that God is true, that he is going to be my God, he is going to help me develop my trust, my understanding. And that I can start having that confident expectation that God is true. Why? Because I know him. The more I know God, the more confidence I can have in him. And this is the same thing when you think about people that you know who, who are your friends. When you first know them, how many secrets do you share with somebody that, that you first meet? You're not going to tell them hardly anything about you. you know, because you're not sure what they're going to do with it. You're not sure how they're going to deal with that information. You start getting to know them and you start sharing little things that aren't going to be the end of the world if they get out and see if that person is somebody that can be trusted. And eventually you get to the place where Okay, I'm going to tell you all that I need to know, that, that I, you know, all about me, because I now trust you. We get into that relationship with God, and we start with 
literally, when we first get saved, we are hoping that everything that we've been told is true. And then the Holy Spirit comes into us and we go, oh, I've got peace. God has lifted off this burden. But all of our trust is on experience at that point in time. And we do not want our trust completely on experience because then when God says to step out on something that we have not experienced, it makes it very difficult. <clears throat> well, God, I'm not sure I can trust you because we've never done this before. And God's saying, well, all of your experience up till now leads you to be able to trust me, doesn't it? And then we get to the place where over and over God has proven himself faithful and we're going, God, I just want to step out. You're going to hold this. And it gets to the place where I've shared with people, most of my faith decisions aren't all that, aren't that big a faith anymore, decision anymore. God's experience with me, my knowledge of the word of God, ties in with other things I learn, and going, <clears throat> you know, this place that I thought was a great cliff is really just a small step over a crack. <laughs> and just going to make that step. God, you've proven that you have been faithful in everything that I have. So it's not, a, not a, just a step out over the cliff hoping that you're there, but it's like, oh, I'm just stepping over a small ditch or jumping over a small ditch, however you want to look at it. And God is saying, oh, now you're trusting me for everything. And this is the beauty of it. The deeper we get into our faith, the closer we become to God and the more we real he becomes to me and the more real his word becomes to me and the more real all my decisions become saying I am now trusting in God and now I can walk with God with total confidence knowing that when I'm in the shadow of the valley of death, God is right there saying, what's the worst thing that can happen to you? We get to the other side and you're still alive. You know, what's the best thing that can happen to us in the shadow of the valley of death? We get to go home. <laughs> and yet, you know, where is our confidence in that period of time? God, I am so confident that if I should die in this period of time, I get to go home. That's a great thing to, to think about. You know, I used to drive people crazy when I was in high school. You kind of, know, they're going, well, I'm going to beat you up. I'm going to kill you. And I'm going, That's, just make sure you get the job done because then I get to go to heaven. <laughs> and they just look at me like, What? <laughs> I'm going, if you beat me up bad, I'll end up in the hospital. But you said you're going to kill me, so make sure you do it right so I get to go to heaven. And they usually walked away because they thought I was crazy. But I really did believe, I mean, I believed that if they killed me, I'd be in heaven, and it was a great thing. Is that our belief? Is that our understanding? You know, this Saturday, I'm going to be going to a memorial for my best friend, and he truly, he is, we got in a conversation one day, and he goes, when I die and they have my memorial, he goes, I want them to have a celebration. I want loud music and happy music. I want people dressed up in, in, in strong colored clothes. And I want them, he goes, he goes, I went home. And it was so good to hear because that's how I felt. You know, it's like, when I die, I want a party. I do not want a mournful celebration. I went home. Now I realize people might miss me and I hope they might miss me. But I went home, and I hope people are going to celebrate that. The church I spent most of my life, we did what we called memorial services, were homegoing services. And I love that term. The Christian went home. And I love that mentality. 
Because that changes the whole purpose of our getting together when somebody passes away. They went home. You know, they are at home. Do I wish they would be back here? No. <laughs> you know, I've always thought about poor Lazarus. Jesus brought him back to this world because Mary and Martha were so sad that they had to have him back. I hope that Jesus did one other miracle. Bringing him back to life was the easy part. I hope that he cleaned his memory of what heaven was like when he brought him back. Because how miserable would life be if you were in heaven and all of a sudden you found yourself back in this world? And it would be horrible. I think it would be horrible to have that happen. And I'm hoping that Jesus healed, took away those memories of the intensity of heaven from him. Because that would be like bringing him back and saying, now you're in hell. You know, and all he did it was because Mary and Martha did not trust that he was the resurrection and that they would join him in the, in the eternity. And he brought him back so that he'd have to die again sometime in the future. What a, what a place to be. Is our hope in the fact that somebody is saved has gone to heaven and enjoying that experience? When my sister died, I, and I couldn't say this to my family because most of my family are not real strong Christians, you know, and the extended family. But I had to tell the pastor, I go, I cannot be sad that my sister has passed away because she is in heaven. She got saved as a little girl, and before she passed away, about two to three years, she went back to being strong with God. Now, she didn't talk to me very much, because she was mad at me, because I told her she wasn't the same girl that believed, <laughs> believed and followed God, because she had fallen away from God for many years, but she went back to church, and the fact that she didn't talk to me did not hurt my feelings, because she was back in relationship with God. And I was happy, because I knew her relationship with God had been fully restored and wasn't a lost relationship and it was an exciting time to see. Is that our attitude when, when a Christian passes away? God, they're at home. They are enjoying your presence. You have shown them their suite of rooms and they're enjoying a perfect peace at that particular time. This is where faith comes into it. This is where God tries our faith. Now, I understand it gets harder and harder. The closer you are to the person, the harder it is to be able to say, God, I am glad they're in heaven. All right? And I understand that idea because it is going to be a situation where, God, I'm going to miss them. And I hope people miss, you know, miss that loved one, that person who is their mentor, the person that is their disciple or whatever it might be. But the joy that they went to heaven should overshadow that missing of them. This is where faith really comes down. You know, this is where the rubber hits the road. Whatever term you want to use is, does our faith produce action? Now, it is one thing to say, you know, going back to the chair, I believe that chair is going to hold me up. And people are going to go, well, when are you going to sit down? Oh, never, I'm not going to. Not going to sit down on that chair. 
but you said you think that chair is going to, yeah, it looks like it's going to hold me up, but I am not going to sit down in that chair. Now, then you don't have enough faith in that chair. God, I know you want me to start tithing, but I don't have enough faith that you're going to be faithful and supply all my needs. God, I know that you have said to go out and witness and that you will fill my, fill my mouth with words, but I am never going to open my mouth because I am too afraid of the people. I'm too afraid that I don't know enough. And this is really what it boils down to. When people won't share the gospel, they're always afraid that somebody's going to ask them a question that they don't know. And as I've told you all before, the greatest thing that can happen to you when you're witnessing to somebody is that somebody will ask you a question that you don't know the answer to. Because your answer is really simple. I don't know the answer to that. Let me go find out the answer. Can we meet tomorrow, next week, next month, whatever is convenient for you, and I'll have an answer for you. And you know what? You hope that they make the decision or ask you another question that you don't know the answer to so that you can now have a third time to talk to them. So the very thing that scares you to death is the best thing that can happen to you if you handle it correctly. I don't know the answer to that. Let me go find the answer. But it gives you a second, third, fourth, fifth chance to talk to them. Because you're going, you know what? I don't know. I don't know that. Let me go find out. I know people that might know the answer. I know, how to, I know God who can give me the answer. And I'll be back to get you that answer. And then you come to your disciple or whoever, or you go deeper in the scriptures, and, and you find the answer to it. I can tell you right now, I like it when somebody can ask me a question that I don't know the answer to. It doesn't happen as often as it used to. But I like it when it does happen because I use that very same thing. Let me go find the answer to you and I'll be right, and we'll, we'll meet again. Let us, let us talk again. Because it is the wonderful thing and that's the thing that people fear. The whole reason people don't want to share the gospel is they are dreadfully afraid that somebody's going to ask them something they don't know. And unfortunately, it, stopped when, it started when they were a brand new Christian and they were excited about Jesus, told everybody about Jesus, and then got, kept getting asked questions that they didn't know the answer to. And eventually, instead of going and finding the answer and going back, they just said, well, all these people ask me questions I don't know, so I'm going to quit telling them. I remember very well when I first got saved, I'm telling people, you need to get saved, and they go, well, you know, and they ask me some questions, I go, I don't know the answer, come to, come to Sunday school with me next Sunday, and we'll and we'll get the answers for you. <laughs> All I know is that Jesus is real and he's changed my life. My poor bus captain pulled up to our bus stop and there were like you know, 10 kids waiting to get on the bus at that bus stop <laughs> that he had never seen before because I'm just telling everybody, you've got to come to Sunday school with me. Uh, you need to get to God, you need to find out the answers. <laughs> I didn't have any answers, but I filled a bus. <laughs> now since then I have learned to answer the questions. But do we have enough faith to continue stepping out? Or does our faith stop and saying, oh, no, this isn't working. This isn't working. Or do we continue getting deeper and deeper into God's word and understanding? How far are we going to go? Are we going to be able to see and understand what's going to happen? Because we see that faith brings out the evidence. We step out by faith and God steps into our life and says, I'm going to honor your faith. It was well placed. It was correctly placed. I'm going to step in and fill that 
statement. The more we walk with God, the more we step out in faith, true and righteous faith, the more he's going to say, I like this. And he responds and shows us that he is trustworthy. We step out in his honor. We get to know him. We get to know him well enough that we know what he expects and we know what he wants. And we step out in what we know that he wants and what he desires. And then we watch him say, well done. Well done. Now, if anybody has ever been taught, you know, what is the greatest way to be taught? Is to have somebody say, you've done this right. Encourage. 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 Now, obviously, there are times when you're going to be told, no, you didn't, have, didn't do this the right way. You need to do this this way. But too many people try to train by being negative all the time. When I was a teacher in a Christian school for, for about two years, the principal had a merit-demerit system. He gave out 80 to 90% of demerits and very rarely ever gave anybody a merit. I was exactly the opposite. I gave out mostly merits and very few demerits and the students were better behaved for me than they were for him because they were being encouraged by positive reinforcement. And why? They were always looking to, how can I get more merits? And they were always doing things to get more positive reinforcement, and I gave it to them. You know, he was always, you know, negative, negative, negative. Your shoes aren't tied. Your, your shoes aren't polished. Your, shoes not, your shirt's not tucked in. Uh, you didn't do this. You didn't do that. You weren't doing this. And it drove people to be more afraid to do anything because they were always afraid that they were going to get in trouble for whatever they did. God uses a lot of positive. We just step out and he says, I like this action. By his grace, he then turns around and blesses us because he goes, at least you're trying. And he'll give us the merits. <laughs> and then the more he gives us these good outcomes, the more we want to do good outcomes and say, I'm going to keep stepping out because look what God does. Look what God is doing in our life as we step forward and trust him. And all of this is what it's all about. And verse 2 says, for, for by it, faith, the elders obtained a good report or a good testimony. The more we walk by faith, the more God's going to say, look at what they did. Look at what they have done. The rest of this chapter is going to be examples of people walking by faith and how God turned what they did into good even though by sight what they did didn't work out in many times. And God is going to say, here's what I did because they walked by faith. And when we look at it, you know, Noah by faith built a boat. Well, God, that's pretty harsh. The whole world died because he built a boat. Well, God says, but I preserved eight people. I preserved all the animals. And over and over, he's going to give these examples of what God did because of people's faith. And we're going to be able to understand 
when I go through something hard, when I go through something that doesn't make any sense, (laughs) I can look and say, God, I believe that you're going to do good from it. It may not make any sense to me, but you're going to do something good. We have, can't remember if Jim Elliott dying in the Amazon forest with his with his buddies by cannibals they're trying to reach. And people are going, how can God take these men and just kill them off? They were trying to serve him. And then a few years later, the cannibals come to their wives and say, we need you to tell us about this God that they followed and willi- will- willingly gave their lives for. And the wives go into the, to the, to the tribe and, and bring them to Christ. Would that have happened any other way? Probably not. Otherwise, God wouldn't have allowed it to happen. And we're going, well, God, it just doesn't make any sense. And God goes, well, they're up in heaven. They, they get the reward for that tribe being reached as well because it was their life that was given for this tribe. How do we see God work? We don't understand the big picture that God sees. God sees the beginning from the end, and he sees it all at once. God is not experiencing time as we are. He's outside of time and saying, you know, I understand that you're having trouble that this is happening now. But in 30 years, you'll understand why this is happening. Maybe it's only 10 years, whatever. But in, sometime in the future, you'll understand why this is happening. When you get to heaven and you're outside of time, you'll get to see how your life changed everything. And this is the beauty of it. We do not know how we're touching people. When we're walking by faith, we don't understand how our life touches people. Give an example. Think about the way that you looked at others before you were saved and saw their life and going, I don't really understand these Christians. They think, they think strange. They act weird. They act so different from I do, but you know, they seem to be happy. They seem to have peace. They have something that I want because they're walking in faith. And this is the beauty of it. You know, I do know some Christians that are just miserable and terrible examples of walking with God. (laughs) But I also know many Christians that you see the peace of God in their hearts. You see they're walking in trust for God, and they're a great example. Our goal should be that I want to walk with faith with God that will draw people to me. Now, that doesn't mean we don't talk to people. Now, one of the things I hated was back in the 80s, friendship evangelism, you know, just get to be good friends with them and show them enough God that maybe one day they'll ask you about God. The only problem is it didn't work very well. Yes, I mean, I totally believe in that. I need to live a life that will draw people to God, but I also have to open my mouth and tell them about God and let them know that why am I different? It's because God. It's because God. Why, why can I be... And I love the question, I, I don't really think of myself as being happy all the time, but I love it at the prison because so many people, including the inmates, go, why are you always so happy? Well, let me tell you why I'm happy. <laughs> God is in my heart and he's control, and he controls my life and he is directing everything about my life. So I am, have the peace that passes understanding that God has given me and I get to share the gospel with them because they asked.
Now, you know, are they asking me directly about God when they ask me? No, they're just asking me, why are you so crazily different than everybody else we know? And then I get to open my mouth because they ask the question. And I can't get in trouble. When they ask first, I can't get in trouble because I'm just answering the question that they asked. Now, they may not like the, my bosses may not like my answer to them, but it doesn't matter because they asked. I'm going to tell. And that's part of what friendship evangelism is about. You know, living a life that people will question, why are you so different, is good. But we also need to then be ready to answer. Be ready to give an answer for what you believe. Know why you believe. And this is very important because the word in there is to give an apology. Now, in American English, we have the idea that an apology is just saying, I'm sorry. But that is not the definition of apology. An apology is to give a reason for what you have done. And my dad was really good about this. We could not just say, I'm sorry. Because he understood the reason for the, the word apology. And he goes, well, what are you sorry for? You know, he was really good about that. What are you sorry? You couldn't just say, I'm sorry. Well, I'm, you know, I'm sorry that I did such and such. All right, that's closer. <laughs> All right, but in this verse, it talks about, and this is where we get the word apologetics, is to give the reason for what we believe, the reason for what we do. And this is something that God is expecting us to do. Be able to give a reason for what I believe. And the only way we do that is being trained by being in the word of God, by experiencing, and be ready to give the reason for what it is that I believe. And step out with God and say, God, you have been faithful. I'm going to express your faithfulness to others. And this is the value of our testimony. People can argue with us over facts. They can argue with us over what the Bible says. But they cannot argue with your changed life. And this is where we bring our life and our testimony in. Paul's testimony over and over was, I was a terrible, rotten persecutor of the church, and God got hold of me with a blinding light, and now I am an apostle. They might not have liked his testimony. They may not have liked it, but they go on, this person has been changed. One of the great things that I understand about salvation, something in your life must change for you to be able to say that you are a new creation in Christ. It might be a simple thing. I couldn't understand the word of God and now, and now when I read it, it all makes sense, or is making more sense. <laughs> I can understand it. I hated God, now I love God. Maybe it's something taken out of your life. When I got saved, God took away a vicious temper that I had. I am glad that I never got into drugs and alcohol because I would have easily killed somebody with the temper that I had. I got saved and God took my temper away. That my life had been changed. Was I perfect? By no means. <laughs> but God had made great changes. We are a new creation. What in our life changes? There needs to be something that changes to be a new creation. And that is our testimony. How has God changed us? And now, after 50 years, God has changed much in my life. 
And my testimony is even greater when I look at it and say, God, you have done this, you have done this, you have done this, you have done this, you have done this. I am your child and you are changing me. I am growing in my faith. And it's becoming easier and easier to quit arguing with God. When I was younger, I argued with God a lot. Not in words so much, in actions, yes. God, I trust that you're going to be a good God, but I'm going to work this out myself. God, I know you're saying to do this, but I am going to get this figured out. You know, I, am, I am a planner, I am an organizer, I am going to figure out how to get this done. And this is something that God has had to break me of in relations. Not to make me no, not a manager, not to make me an, an unplanner, but to be able to say, God, I'm just going to trust you more than I do myself. And that's hard for somebody who's a planner and a truster and a manager, a trainer and a manager. We like to trust ourselves. <laughs> and it gets hard to trust God sometimes. And I still have this problem. I used to be so much organized that I could tell you what I was going to do on any given day, any given hour, three years from now. Because my schedule was that set. God has had to break me of that habit. I am still a planner, I'm still an organizer, but I've also said, okay, God, I'm willing to let you step into my life and change my plans now. Much better than I used to do. I used to go, God, uh, what do you mean you want me to go, you want me to do, you want, you want to do what? You want me to go talk to that, 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 that was not in the plan, God. <laughs> Talking to that person was not in the plan. I, I, I can squeeze them in in three days from now when I've got this block of time available for doing whatever. And believe me, I used to be that bad. <laughs> but God has, over the years, taught me to be more flexible and to say, no, I'm, going, I'm putting this person in your life now. Talk to them. Are we willing to let God change who we are or who we think we are for him to be stepping out? And this is the beauty of faith. Is my faith just that blind faith of when I first started out, or is it becoming who I am that's internalized? And again, we're not going to have every area of our life get to stage five. <laughs> we should be living in stage four, where it is personalized, and it is my faith that I'm trusting in God because it's mine, and I believe that he can do it, I may not always act on what I believe, but that ultimate faith is that one that says, I am going to step out for God. We read about the life of Moses and so much of what Moses did, he was in step five in a lot of areas of his life. You know, he was able to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. He was standing at the Red Sea and said, God's going to split this thing up. And, you know, and he told the people, Take a good look at the Egyptians because the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. And that was before the Red Sea was opened. Then they walked through the Red Sea and God closed it down and the Egyptians were killed in the sea. I just think, Richard, that was just so amazing. All of it was amazing, but that was his walk. Elijah walked with God so much that he says, watch and see what God's going to do. You know, Elisha did the same thing. You know, 
I love the story in Elisha where the enemy is around him and his servant is all going crazy and he says, God, open up, open up the servant's eyes so he can see things from the spiritual realm. And the, and the servant saw that the army of God circled the army that had them circled. Are we able to walk in that kind of faith? That we just say, God, you are so much in charge that I trust you no matter what my eyes tell me, no matter what my emotion is telling me. That is where we're in stage five, where we're just saying, God, I'm going to just trust no matter what. No matter what I see, no matter what I feel, I'm going to trust your word. I'm going to trust your character. And that is what real faith is about. Not just blindly saying, I just trust, but I know God so well that I know what he wants me to do. And when I step out in what I know that he wants me to do, I'm going to have faith that I'm doing what he wants and that he's going to deliver me no matter what my senses tell me about it. And that's hard. (laughs) And we almost enter back into this blind faith, but I'm doing now because God told me and I'm so much trusting in his character that I'm walking in wherever he wants me to walk and saying, God, I'm just trusting completely in you no matter what the flesh is saying, no matter what my emotions are saying, no matter what I'm, my senses tell me, I'm going to trust you because I know you so well that I know what you want. I think I've heard God that I don't know that anybody can trust, but say we start to rationalize and consider, you know, this is the way I seek that really God. And that comes down to, do I really trust in God enough to be able to trust him, or am I doubting who I, what I'm hearing? And it's, it's hard. It is, you know, this is where this whole walk becomes very difficult. Do I know God well enough to know his voice and his character to be able to walk in the faith of what he's to asking me to do? And because the more we know him and the more we're walking in faith, the harder the faith decisions get to be, that, God, am I really going to trust you because this is scary? God, you're, you're telling me to put the singers up front in the battle and they're, in the, in the, and they're going to sing praises to you and they're going in front of the army as we go fight this army that's bigger than us. And then find out that God in the, in the praise has slain the army that you're going out to, to do battle for. How much faith did that take? How much faith did that take to be able to say, okay, God, we're going to put the singers out front. Can you imagine those poor singers? Uh, Why are we in front of the army? We don't mind coming out to battle with you, but we should be behind the army, not in front of the army. And they're obeying the king that says, that when God said, put them in front. What standard of faith would that be? Pretty hard. You You may be slaughtering your poor singers praising God if God is if going back to did I hear you right God did the prophet tell me the right things did he hear you right or is he crazy well God I'm going to put my trust in you and the prophet I'm going to put those singers out front and hope for the victory that you're telling me that is coming be coming because of it that's what she said 
Yeah. Am I presuming upon God by doing this? Yeah. I don't want to do something if, if it's just me. And again, that is getting to know God well enough to know that this is his will, his desire, and to step out. If you're stepping out with the right attitude in the wrong direction, God will, God will turn you away from what you're doing and keep it from being the end of the world. But if I'm just, and go back to these people in the faith, well, God, I think you want me healed. So I'm throwing away my, my medicine. I'm destroying my glasses. Because, God, you're going to heal my sight, so I'm going to tear up my glasses. And then you're couple months later buying a new pair of glasses because you destroyed your glasses because you were you didn't want to wear glasses in the first place and you wanted good sight and God's saying I never told you that I was going to heal your sight I've seen this over and over in the faith movement where they presume upon God but if you're sitting back and you're saying God I really believe that this is where you're saying I'm going this is what I think you're telling me to do and you step out and you go do it. God rewards faith that is leaning toward honoring him. The idea of me getting, getting my sight healed, that is all about me. When you're stepping out in faith that's all about you, something's going to be wrong. God, I think you want us to do this big job, and it's going to be something really big, you know, God, I really think you want us to do this mission in this church. You're going to be honored by this. Don't know how you're going to pay for it, but God, we're going to step out in it. And you watch God do the miracles. Because I'm not looking to honor me. I'm not looking to honor, you know, draw honor to the church. I'm looking to honor God and lift him up. And then there's a difference in that because now my faith is on God. God, I really believe whatever. You know, God, you need us to make a, a Christian college, and this is not a vision that I have. <laughs> you know, I believe you want a Christian college here in Chloride. We're going we're gonna to build a Christian college. And God would say, okay, that sounds good. You're, gonna, you're looking to honor me, and who knows what he would do. Now, I do believe there's some big things that God has in store for us, and you know, part of it is maybe I don't have enough faith to walk into some of those. You know, I have the same problem as everybody else does. <laughs> when, the, when the goal is really, really big goal, to be able to step out into it is kind of a scary thought. For just like you said, is it just something I want or is it something that God wants? And, you know, if it's something that I want, then it's, it's scary because all of a sudden, you know, it may not be there. You know, and... You know, I see needs and I'm going, God, are we the one to fill these needs? Or is it just a desire for the church to be lifted up in, in meeting these needs? It's a hard place to go. And I understand very clearly this whole idea of, am I stepping out to serve a big God? Or am I stepping out in presumption? And this is a hard place to try to figure out. And this is where we walk and we listen to God and we pray and we try to understand, God, is this what you want us to do? And be able to walk forward in all that he asks us to do. And learning to walk by faith is a scary thing to do. Because it is something that our senses and everything scream at us. It's not true. It's not right. And 
and then our emotions get behind it as well and say, I'm not sure that you're doing the right thing. You know, how, can you, how can you believe that this is the right thing to do? And yet we step out and we walk in this faith. Lord, we ask you to bless us as we learn to walk in faith. Help us to be able to hear your voice in all that we do and to be guided by what you would have us do. And we just thank you for your faithfulness and your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23, we are told, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much, he died for us, so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Romans 10.9-8 says, That if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today is that day for you to come to God and truly know him. Do you know him? Do you want to know him? Pray in your own words like this. God, I know that I am a sinner and deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died to pay my sins. Forgive me and help me to turn from my sins and to live for you. If you have asked this of God and truly believe you are God's child and part of of his family, we encourage you to do these things. First, tell somebody that you are saved. Second, start reading the Bible each day. We recommend starting with Ephesians and then the Gospel of John. Find a good Bible teaching church. If this is your your day of salvation, you can contact us and we will send you a booklet to get started on your new life and are available to help you with any questions you have about the Bible. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by mail at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431.